going to talk about Jacob and Esau and the, the transaction of the birthright. Really a sad story when you consider it. But uh, Esau is spoken of in Scripture and Jacob also. Charles Spurgeon, the great orator of England of years ago, preached on Romans chapter 9 where God declares, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. There was a lady in his congregation that had difficulty with that, so she went up to him after this, the service and she says, how could God hate Esau? And Spurgeon had a great reply. It's one of those kind you wish you had yourself, but <laughs> this is Spurgeon. He says, my problem, my trouble is not how could God hate Esau, but how could God love Jacob? <laughs> and when you study Jacob, that's a good question. <laughs> but, but anyway, as we get into the life of Jacob, and we're just beginning, there is a, a temptation to speak evil of Jacob and to speak bad of him. And we have to understand that he is one of the patriarchs. So when Jacob is described as a mild man uh, in chapter 25, verse uh, 27, the word that is used in Hebrews there is tam, T-A-M. And Tam indicates a whole or a complete man. Not effeminate or weak, but a whole and complete man. In the book of Job, when God is speaking to Satan, and he asks Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. A blameless. And the word Tam is used there. Tam. An upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So it's a completeness that our Lord talks about there. So let's read this morning about the infamous birthright transaction between Jacob and Esau. And that's in chapter 25 of Genesis, verse 29 through 34. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It's interesting the names of these twins, Jacob and Esau. And with first encounter we have with them, they're living out their namesake. Jacob, he's cooking a stew. Esau returns from being out hunting, and Esau sort of blurts out, feed me some of that red stew. 
Not, how's it going, Brother Jacob? How's things been here at home while I was away hunting? No, feed me. <laughs> you know? And uh, not that he's necessarily wanting to have a meal with his brother, but he gets right down to the, his basic desire and that he wants to be fed. But uh, Jacob, true to his nature, sees Esau's hunger as a time to gain an advantage over him. He looks upon Esau's hunger as opportunity. All that Esau has that Jacob wants is the birthright and the blessing. Jacob has allowed this birthright to dominate his thinking. You know, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, don't feed his brother. Hey, okay, I'll feed you, but sell me the birthright. Um, so it's, you know that it's possessing his thought pattern. So what is this birthright and blessing that Jacob so desperately wants? Well, it's both material and spiritual. It's an inheritance Plus, it's a responsibility. And that was, you know, part of the culture in that day. The oldest son would receive a double portion of the inheritance of the family's wealth. That was part of the blessing, the birthright thing. And he then is to also lead the family, not in just business manners, matters, but he is also to be the spiritual leader of the family. That was the birthright. Abraham, he has died, and he's left all his possessions to Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau, is extremely wealthy himself. Esau, he, he doesn't desire to give away his birthright, far as the wealth goes, the blessing, he doesn't want to give that up, but he has no use for the responsibility side. That spiritual leadership role has no appeal to Esau. So, okay, how does that relate to us today? Well, one of the major problems I see in the church today is men like Esau in his attitude towards their responsibility have vacated that position of responsibility. Uh, many men, and this is a general statement, shy away from being spiritual leaders in their home and in the church. So many women step forward into a position of leadership that they have never been called to. And we see this throughout the Christian Church of America today. Many mainline Christian denominations now ordain women as pastors. Not to mention they're also ordaining homosexuals and uh, in, in the pulpits of many churches are now occupied with men and women 
who do not consider God's word inerrant. God's word is truth. Let every man be a liar. His word is truth. And there are also many pastors that are kind of forced into the role of being a pastor, not really wanting that role, and a little bit of Esau is in them. But the Apostle Paul, he had something to say on this matter about women taking on the position of leadership, and he simply states that a woman is not to to have the position of authority over a man, and that's in 1 Timothy 2.12. Paul says, do not allow or permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Now, those are not my words, so don't get upset with me. But they're really not Paul's words either. They're the Lord Jesus and his words. And how mainline denominations around our country get around this command of our Lord that women are not to have authority over men, and yet they install women pastors, I do not know. I do not know what excuse they make in their mind or how they justify this, but God's word clearly says that that's not to be. Esau, he wanted nothing to do with the responsibility of being a spiritual leader in his family. And the way of Esau, the pattern of Esau, prevails in the church today. Jacob, on the other hand, he wants to buy, he wants to purchase this birthright from Esau, and all he has to give Esau is a bowl of soup, you know, a bowl of red stew. And hear the words of Esau in verse 32. It kind of sums him up. Look, I am about to die. So what profit shall this birthright be to me? That's a basic attitude, by the way. And that attitude is, what's in it for me? The same attitude, you know, it dominates the thinking of the world around us. And that attitude of what's in it for me should never, ever enter, even enter the mind of a believer. That is so contrary to our Lord Jesus that it should never be part of our lives. You know, I honestly long for the day when my first thought is not how does this situation or whatever affect me, but what would the Lord have me do? We're so adept. Our flesh is so keen for watching out for number one, isn't it? We watch out for ourselves way too much. <laughs> but this selling of the birthright cries out to the reader of Genesis, and it does. Why would Esau do this? Don't you ask that question when you read this passage? Why would Esau stoop to such a low place to do this? And I believe that question is one that we're supposed to ask. I believe when you read this, you're supposed to ask that. Why would Esau do this? 
But the question remains, what are we, what are you and I doing with our birthright, our responsibility, our blessing as Christian believers? So turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, the blessings that we're given and perhaps our behavior to those blessings. So Ephesians chapter 1, we'll look at verses 3 through 14. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So we read that and we begin to understand we are tremendously blessed but we also have a tremendous responsibility. Paul begins this and he says, bless God for blessing us. You know, he's saying, thank you, Lord, for the great blessing, and we bless you for it. As we go through life, we, we come to a conclusion sometimes that life is not always fair. Life can be cruel. Life is not always easy. Life can be hard work. Therefore, many people have come to a conclusion there must be a hereafter, a heaven, if you will. There must be a place and a time where the works of our lives be put on the scales of justice. As believers, as children of God... For us to receive a just reward, a fair reward, and it is still a reward, though, for the works that we do. We want someone who knows every detail of every situation in our lives, and we want him to be that judge of what we receive as a reward, and that is our Lord Jesus. 
to consider, just to think about ourselves being sons of the living God, well, that's humbling and sobering. I mean, you can't think on that without it having an effect upon you. And then it, we read that we're predestined and chosen by God according to the good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. It's God's will to bless us. It is by the grace of God that we cry out, Abba, Father. And I, I don't know of any blessing that is ours as believers greater than salvation. Think about that. We have salvation. We have eternity in heaven. We have eternity with God. And we're blessed. That thought alone secures us. It carries us many times through difficult times. And we, you and I, are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know how often you think about it, but I don't think about that too much. That's kind of an accepted thing in my life, that my sins are forgiven. But think about it. Sin brings guilt. And as believers, we can and do live a guiltless, well-balanced life that non-believers know nothing about. All we have to do to appreciate forgiveness is reflect back when as unbelievers we were guilt-ridden. Do you know what it's like to carry guilt around? We don't have to do that anymore. Sometimes it's good for us to listen to those around us. You know, listen to your co-workers sometime. <laughs> uh, listen to some of your friends and listen to what they talk about. Listen to what brings them comfort in what they're seeking in life. Many times they take pleasure in drugs or alcohol. Some take pleasure in pursuing that next perfect mate, you know. <coughs> Always looking for that uh, other person that's going to satisfy all of their needs. Or some others that may be simply complaining about the mate that they have. <laughs> but... People seek to fill that void in their life, and they do it in many ways. Sometimes it can be possessions. This next whatever is going to make me happy and complete. It will bring that joy that I so desperately want. And you talk about a treadmill that cyclical, cyclical. <laughs> problem that we all endure with possessions. The next possession will make me a little happier and usually they're a disappointment by the way. But when a person is unforgiven only condemnation and guilt surround that life. And the feeling of guilt, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, it crosses all stratas of our society. 
And sometimes as believers, we can forget how blessed we are to simply have our sins forgiven. Simply being forgiven brings happiness and rejoicing to our lives. And that the world longs for. The world longs for that desperately and does not even know it. Verse 10 of Ephesians 1 here, we read that in the fullness of time, Christ will gather us together as one in himself. When you and I heard the gospel, the truth of God's word, the good news of God's word, something sparked, something says, yes, you want to latch on to that, for that is truth. And when we latched on to it, we receive salvation for our souls. And God in his love and in his kindness gave us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Or, as Paul says, our seal of promise from God. God knows that our salvation is hard for us to grasp onto. He knows that our finite minds can't really get around that. So he gives us his Holy Spirit to assure us, to convince us that we're his children. God says, it's too good to be true. No, it's not too good to be true. So I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to convince you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, he works in each and every life, each and every day, moment by moment if you're listening to him, to declare to you that you are a child of God. What greater proof could we need? So that's our responsibility, to accept the great gift of God, the great blessings of God, and declare it really to the world. But now back to Jacob and Esau. Jacob is worried. He's fretting. And he's fretting about acquiring the birthright. Jacob, you cannot buy something that you already own. What do I mean by that? The birthright is already Jacob's foretold by God himself. That the older will serve the younger. God has already established that Jacob will have the birthright. And you can't go out and buy something that you already own. Esau, you have nothing to sell. The birthright never belonged to you according to God's word. It was never yours, Esau. But the thing, the crux of this whole thing is that God will now look at Esau in such a negative way that he even says, I hate him because Esau despised the thought of being the spiritual leader in his family. Esau, he's willing to sell a birthright that it wasn't his willing to rid himself of that responsibility of being a man of God. He wants nothing to do with it. And Esau 
sold his birthright in his own heart and mind for a bowl of red stew. But he also acquired God Almighty's great displeasure with his life. Now, if you're anything like me, I covet, I desire the blessings of God in my life. But part of that blessing, part of that receiving is the responsibility of being a man of God in my family. The words that Esau despised his birthright, those are extremely strong words. And they're meant to get our attention. You're supposed to read that and you're supposed to go, whoa, how shocking. As believers, God is pleased when we take a stand for the truth, the truth of his word. And he is also pleased when we bother to take time to teach our children about him. Here at Calvary, we're big on teaching through the Word of God. But that is not so popular in many churches. That is not so well-pleasing to hear the Word of God in many churches. Instead, in many churches, you will hear things, be all that God wants you to be. That appeals to the flesh. Uh, God wants you to prosper. Again, that appeals to the flesh. Uh, live the good life. You know, okay. Esau despised his birthright. And he wanted nothing to do with teaching his family the truth of God. So God can say of Esau, I've hated him. Esau despised his birthright. And in verse 32, we hear Esau say, Look, I am about to die. So what profit shall this birthright be to me? In a nutshell, that is Esau basically saying, Why should I do what is right? I will soon die in this birthright, it won't matter a bit. But in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, we hear God speak of Abraham, and Abraham being the father of many nations. And God lays out why he has blessed Abraham. I have known Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. That's God's explanation of why he so tremendously blesses Abraham. And God desires good works in the lives of his children, you and I. He wants us to hold up a standard of righteousness. righteousness. He wants us to raise our children according to his scriptures, to his standards. And we are to be examples to the world around us that the ways of the Lord are good. We're to be those examples. 
there is a downside to this, and Esau found that downside. You can avoid the responsibility of teaching your family or being a witness for Christ, and you can become, like Hebrews says, a profane person like Esau. Esau, hated by God. And I can't think of anything that is more condemning than to have that said of anyone. So we have an opportunity. We have our lives before us. We can be men and women of God. What better thing could we be? Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, when we read about this birthright and the responsibilities of it, 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 it stirs our heart to want to live completely after you, Lord. We want to live a life that has meaning, meaning before our families, meaning before our neighbors, meanings before the world around us, Lord. Help us to be like you, Jesus. You were the perfect example for us. Thank you for assuring us that we are your children. You've given us the guarantee of your Holy Spirit that assures us that we are your children. Now help us to live like your children. Lord, we don't want for it to ever be said that there's anything about us that is like Esau. So help us, Lord. Be with us as we fellowship together in our potluck. Watch over us this coming week. Give us those opportunities, Lord, to speak forth for your namesake, the truth of your namesake, Lord. And thank you for the truth of being a child of God. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.